This is Hannah. This is Rachel. And this is What I Like to Tell People. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Hannah. How was your week? It was good. I got a flu shot today and I uh, did selfies for Halloween, which was interesting and a little more tame than last year with your awesome Halloween party. How was your week? My week was good. I didn't really do much on Halloween. I did carve pumpkins this past week. I guess it, I don't know. I feel like was that this week or was that last week? It every I think it was last. It was. Week uh, it was that. last. Everything's week. such a blur. I I yeah. feel like that every week. Like when I try to explain my week on here, I'm like, I don't know <laughs> what's going on. But we do know what today is, even though it comes out Thursday. Uh, it's election day. Yeah. So we're recording. Yeah, we're recording this on election day, which I am extremely nervous because we don't know the results. And if you're you're probably listening, and I hope people are happy that are listening. I hope we have found out good news. We do need that for 2020, that is for sure. And it would be nice to, yeah, like I I'm very yeah. excited, though, because a lot of people voted early and did mail-in ballots. And I feel very happy that people are actually using that, uh, their voice. So that. Right. Yeah. Record number, which is really awesome. For sure. And that's where I'm, I'm just happy about that because we never really get that many. So it's great. (laughs) So this episode is telling people about Honduras with Glenn Evans, and he is the founder of Art for Humanity. And I really I think he's an awesome guy. I'm excited for people to hear about his stories on how he even, you know, he didn't even plan to go to Honduras. So it's a really cool story to hear from like start to finish how he's met people. And I think he's changed so many people's lives. He's a very modest man and really doesn't, you know, say much about that. But I think he's really impacted a lot of people in Honduras and has really invested a lot into those people and to help them not just like money invested but he like goes down truly you know tries to help them become self-sufficient and you know like and get them out of poverty gives them the tools and I and that's hearing his uh, story just makes me in awe that someone can be that selfless and just so caring and you never you never see it as much these days. So when you hear about it and see um, that type of person, it's just wonderful. Yeah, and I really, I really hope people enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed listening to his stories. I've known him for a little over two years, about two years, I guess now, and just like listening to just things that he's done in life and just how he nonchalantly, you know, talks about it. So hope you guys enjoy. Hello, everyone. We are here with Glenn Evans, and he is the founder of Art for Humanity. And I met him through my church in Fairfax, and we went to Honduras on a mission trip. And he goes there multiple times a year to a school called HIBS, and that stands for Honduras Independence Bilingual School. And we'll kind of talk about that 
and how you even got started in Honduras, because I find that it's an amazing story and like a once in a lifetime opportunity too. And I've gone there now twice. And I hope after the pandemic, I'll be able to go there again. So how, how is it during the pandemic since you're there? Well, uh, like a lot of things in Honduras, it's a bit of a contradiction. Uh, first of all, they started off with very, very, very strict uh, quarantine. I mean, you, you could be jailed for 24 hours if you were saw out of your house, uh, except on the day that you're allowed to go out of your house, which is once every two weeks. Uh, or if you're out of your home without a mask, and even now, uh, you're only allowed to leave your house once every 10 days for certain activities, like uh, if you want to go to the bank. And so if you go to the try to get into the bank on a non-day, you can't get in. And uh, I think that's a way to try to control crowds. And, of course, banking is a pretty big deal anywhere, but... Uh, maybe especially here because people are sometimes receiving money from the states and from other places. And, uh, you know, I was in a store today, uh, agricultural supply store, and kind of indicative of some of the contradiction. So there's signs all over the store before you go in that you can only come in with a mask, that only two clients are allowed in at a time. But yet, I, I was one of the two clients there, and then about five more clients <laughs> came, and, you know, some had masks, some didn't, and uh, so uh, I would say it was kind of Honduras casual uh, with a lot of things. As you know, uh, most things don't go according to plan, and uh, uh, the pandemic hasn't either. Are there numbers high there, like, and how... No, they're not, fortunately. Uh, in round numbers, they're about a third of what our numbers in the states are based on population. So uh, I think we're around, uh, and I'm counting deaths, not, uh, not infections, because we don't know the number of infections, how many people have been tested and all that kind of stuff. But we ha we're somewhere around 600 uh, people per million population, and they are at about 200 per million population. What has been hard for them is that they don't have any reserve hospital capacity. So even years before the pandemic, somebody going into the hospital, uh, first of all, it's hard to get in. If, if you needed to have, uh, I'm just going to say, uh, um, some kind of a surgery that's not an emergency. It's not uh, an appendectomy. Uh, you might wait three or four months to be able to get a slot to get in. And, uh, and you know, I've taken people, and they were just so full, they were treating patients, doing rather intimate treatments in the waiting room. And uh, so bottom line is our hospitals were already over full before the pandemic, and uh, so that's only been exacerbated uh, here now, you know, during this this crisis. So uh, that's, you know, that's part of the challenge of being in a third world country. 
that's greatly underdeveloped in every way. They don't have enough electricity. They don't have enough water. They don't have enough hospital beds or, or anything like that. In fact, my first trip back when I came in August, all of my suitcases were all filled to capacity and all the luggage that I could carry uh, was supplies for doctors here uh, and, and nurses in, uh, in hospitals to use. Uh, it was uh, mostly N95 masks and some suits, but also maybe uh, 75 pounds of prescription medicine. And, uh, and, and I did that again on this trip, but they, it was more of a crisis in August than it is now. And what most people don't understand, and I didn't know, but you can't really mail things there. So that's why you usually bring a lot oh. of suitcases, right? You can't mail things there? I didn't hear that. You can't, like you mail, can't mail Like mail supplies. Like you don't mail supplies there. You always bring them in your suitcase. Right. Uh, actually, we do both. We send uh, 40-foot shipping containers, but we don't do it very often because it's unreliable and very expensive. So uh, not yet to get a, a container into the country, we used to be able to get it into the country, not shipping, not transportation, just the, the legal work and the taxes in country. We used to be able to do that for $2,000 per container. And now it's a minimum of 10,000. So it, oh. it makes it difficult to justify. And $10,000 is for inexpensive stuff. If we were sensitive stuff, we'll say computers or, or medicine, then the cost could easily be 50 or 100,000. And, uh, it's, it's difficult. And you don't always get all your stuff. So uh, that's why the, the most expensive stuff, prescription medicines, uh, I bring in suitcases and, and ask volunteers to bring them in their suitcases. And the reason we were taking them to hospitals is because very often public hospitals, uh, the head of that hospital is appointed by the president and they don't really have any accountability. And so they're selling all of the N95 masks they were receiving and all of the COVID tests. So you could buy them on the street, but you could, they didn't have them in the hospital. And, uh, you know, that's just a part of, uh, you know, corrupt government. We, you know, back home, we talk about corruption in the government, but, you know, it's totally different level. It's, sort of like comparing a mosquito bite to a, a gunshot wound. Yeah, that's like a definitely stark difference for sure. Like we could say corrupt, but when you I hear the story from you, it just makes me wow. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to tell everyone kind of how you even got started with going to Honduras? Well, uh, I guess the, the short answer is I didn't plan to come to Honduras, uh, <laughs> but we had a house fire. And uh, the church where I was also had construction going on at the same time. And as you know, in northern Virginia, where I live, the uh, when construction's going on, Latinos are doing uh, the hard labor work. And so I, I befriended some of the workers uh, at, at the projects and just took a personal interest in them. 
and came to find out that they were totally disconnected from their families. And that's because that was before cell phones. Uh, they are illiterate in English and in Spanish, so there is not a, a functioning postal, postal system here. And uh, sending letters some other way is very expensive, very. Like one time I was going to send a FedEx letter, and it was $120. Uh, so anyway, they were totally cut off from their family. And, um, you know, part of my background is social science. And, and I thought being cut off from their family is one reason they drink too much and do some other stuff too much. And so I offered to help these six guys who happened to be from Honduras. I'm not sure at that time I even knew where Honduras was other than in Latin America somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, these six guys happen to be from Honduras, and I made an offer to them that I would visit their family in their behalf. I would take video of these six guys, each one individually talking to their family, and then I would deliver that to their family. Well, again, before cell phones and before small cameras. So the camera that I borrowed to make their video you know, weighed like 30 pounds and sat on my shoulder. And, uh, uh, but anyway, I made the video and delivered it, uh, to those six families all across Honduras. So my first trip to Honduras was all across. And, uh, I was touched by the families. Uh, I was really touched by the level of poverty. Uh, I've been involved in working with the poor you know, much of my life. And for 15 years before coming to Honduras, I volunteered in a homeless shelter in D.C. Uh, one in two days a week. Uh, but, you know, the poverty we have back home is just nothing compared to here. Sort of like the corruption is kind of like comparing a mosquito bite to a gunshot wound. And uh, so the poverty is just immense. And uh, so I discovered that and uh, thought I'll try to do something that could help in a sustainable, albeit very small way. And so I, I offered to help a couple of families uh, to begin uh, a little small home-based business of, of their choosing. And uh, it happened to be art and craft, which things that women could do in their home without leaving their children. And then I would bring it to the States to sell and pay them. And so that's how the name Art for Humanity came from. And uh, so anyway, long story short, I went one week and then the next year I went two weeks and then the next year I went three weeks and then the next year I went four weeks. And then, you know, the next year I was burning the candle at both ends. Uh, and uh, so I decided uh, to to give up my employment uh, back home and kind of downsize and come and volunteer here full time. Now, I'm not here full time, but I volunteer full time. So when I'm in the States, I'm doing stuff uh, like collecting things, doing shipments. And when I'm here, I'm I'm working on the projects and 
we've started a college and uh, it's the only woman's college in Honduras. It's the only English speaking college in Honduras. It's the only college teaching leadership skills and it's the only residential college. So when students are accepted, they receive a full scholarship, which includes their room and board, their meals, and they can graduate in three years because we go 12 months a year and uh, and then help to start Hibs and some other schools. And right now I'm working on a project to begin an organic school to teach uh, organic farming to a very poor rural uh, adults who uh, are subsistence farmers. And that group of people in Honduras, 50% of them are chronically malnourished. So that kind of lets you know how ineffective their subsistence farming is. I want to kind of scale that up. So that, that's a thumbnail sketch of how I got here and what I've been doing since I got here. And, you know, all with volunteers. Everybody, you know, like you, Hannah, who, who came, to, you know, bought your own plane ticket. I buy my own plane ticket. And uh, every volunteer does that. And uh, so. Um, and I will say I hope to, well, I've been twice and both times have been like a wonderful experience. Like you would never know the people have it hard. Like I feel like everybody at Hibs, they're happy. They're, you know, excited to be there. They're, it's just a, a really great, like fulfilling time every time I go. Yeah, the people are so very appreciative of anything that that we do, and uh, and I think in part because we're sensitive in what we do, we don't try to presume what they need and want, but we first, you know, kind of do our homework and do a lot of listening uh, to make sure that we're on the right track. And uh, and then, you know, we provide opportunity and, and people are very appreciative of that, uh, even those who are not receiving the opportunity. But those who are hearing that that opportunity is being offered to others, uh, they often come up to me and, and say, thank you for, you know, helping the friend of my neighbor that I heard about, you know, that kind of a thing. So it's there's a lot of appreciation here. And so you met Vivian, who is the, do we call her like the director of HIDS? You just met her on the bus randomly, right? And right. I also find that amazing. Yeah. I also was about to ask that. Yeah. That's kind of a common thread that runs through uh, what we're doing in Honduras. Almost everything that has happened has happened as some people would say, randomly. So I just randomly met Vivian on a bus. I was on the bus. She There was a seat empty beside me, the last seat on the bus, and she sat down, and we had an hour to talk on the bus. Uh, when beginning the college, there was a, a Honduran man named Elias. Uh, I saw him with a another a group of other young men they were just getting out of high school class and they were hitchhiking i was driving a ford focus if you're not familiar that's a small car and i thought when i stopped that one or two or three of those boys young men would get in 13 of them got in 
he was the last one laying across the top of uh, people seated three, three high, and he was across. And so I met him hitchhiking and uh, even coming to Honduras. It was just happenstance. It happened to be the workers who were working at the house and at the church. And so it's uh, it's been that way. Uh, very organic, very person to person relational as opposed to bureaucracy. So there's not any bureaucratic element uh, of what we do. It's all very relational. And so that's how I met Vivian. And and uh, later when she got married, her husband and uh, and her other family and and really all the people that I work with here, uh, I've just met them kind of circumstantially. I know. Like, I feel like, well, I don't know. That story is nuts. So the first time I heard it when you were like, I was on a bus, couldn't speak Spanish. I just went here. Like, I, I don't even know how you found the families originally, like how you even got them the videos and especially how Honduras is laid out and the roads. And I don't know. Well, it, it was challenging, but Hondurans are just very hospitable people. Uh, they want to help you, even if they don't know how, you know, like they don't speak a word of English, other than somehow almost everybody from music has learned I love you uh, from English songs. <laughs> and, so, and I'm sure you heard that a few times. And Yes. Uh, yeah. The security guard said he loved me. <laughs> yeah. So they pick that up in movies and, and, and songs. Uh, so anyway, they just uh, really uh, try to be and, and want to be helpful. And I did a little preparing, you know, so I made three by five flashcards that I kept in my pocket or, or pack. And if I was going to trade buses, it said, uh, I'm looking for the bus to go to X, Y, Z. And I could show that to people and then somebody could get me. Oh, OK, go to get on this bus. And sometimes people would just walk out on the road with me and they would flag down the right bus because they read my card of where I was going. Now, not everybody could read the card because a lot of people are illiterate, but they would find somebody who could. And so, you know, I, I did do some pre-planning uh, like that. But again, that was before cell phones, before, you know, well, without cell phones, there's not really Internet available to the general population. And uh, so... Uh, I think maybe there was an Internet cafe around here and there, but there wasn't much of that. And, well, I tell you how long ago it was. I came with traveler's checks. And, oh. you know, when's the last time you ever heard of a traveler's check? I've and, never used one. I remember my parents getting them, but I've never got one. And to cash them here, I've taken out, taken out mortgage applications in the States that was quicker and simpler than cashing a traveler's check here. So, for example, you couldn't have cashed one in, in a town like Kimistan. You'd have to go to a big city like San Pedro Sula, and there there's typically one bank that will cash them, and they would only cash two a day. So if you had 20s, you could cash $40, but if you had 100s, you could get $200, but only two a day. And, uh, you know, it was just, it would, I mean, all kinds of questions, 
you know, and all the information that's on your passport and, you know, just so much. So, uh, and some places here, it's still like that to use a credit card. So like yesterday, I, I rarely buy with a credit card, but yesterday I did buy a refrigerator, uh, for this agricultural project because we're storing seeds and seeds need to be kept cool. And, uh, it took quite a while just to get the credit card processed, uh, you know, including lots of personal information plus all the information that was on, on my passport and they had to photocopy my passport. Uh, so, you know, it, 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 they're called underdeveloped countries for a good reason. Yeah. And I tend to forget that I think when I'm at the school, like until you go out and I, I feel like even in Kimmy Sand, it's still like going to the coffee shop and stuff. It doesn't feel like you are in an, that underdeveloped, but then something like that happens and you're like, Oh, I'm not in America or, Oh, I'm not, you know, and not saying it's not like there's a Starbucks or anything. I mean, it's not completely like here where we're at, but right. And even those coffee shops have only been there at the most two years. Yes. Yeah, so th those are new. Uh, before them, any coffee served was on the street and there would just be a woman there with pot on, on the curb, on the sidewalk and, uh, making coffee right there. Like, uh, I don't know if you were with the group that we were buying corn on the street. So we, we, you and I, people in the States, we eat corn on the cob boiled. Here, corn on the cob is roasted. And they normally have a little fire on the street. And, and the fire is normally in a car rim. So next time you look at an empty car rim, it kind of looks a little bit like a, like a barbecue cooker or something. So, you know, they'll have a little fire in there and then they're roasting the corn and, uh, you know, I, I buy it. And, and the same way with baleadas, they, there's a lot of street food here because uh, almost nobody has a car, maybe 1% of the population. So people are on the street a lot, even moving from one bus to another bus. And so there's all the street vendors that cater to those people. And, uh, and so uh, I do a fair amount of my eating. Uh, that's how I ate today, uh, with, uh, you know, just some little old ladies by the street, you know, either roasting corn or making baleadas or selling coffee. But, you know, uh, they learned about Starbucks kind of places and then started doing their own here or Panera, Panera bread kind of places. Yeah. And then they have the grocery store. Was that like a new thing too? That one grocery store with the coffee shop? Well, that grocery store, when I first came to Kimistan, was about the size of a one-car garage, wow. and then it doubled to a two-car garage, and then a three-car garage, and then now it's that kind of full-service supermarket that sells shoes and plastic goods and cosmetics and, you know, Craft most supplies. anything. Yeah, yeah. You got to see it develop though throughout it where it was started out small and that got larger too. That's really cool to even see that you get to see it. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Uh, you know, pe 
the, the, the owners, the people there are, you know, reinvested and continue to reinvest and, and, uh, which. Have you played a part in that, do you think? Or probably not, uh, other than patronizing there and, you know, that sort of a thing. That's but you never know because it could, because it, as it ends up, uh, some of the people I work with are family of them. So maybe there was something I said that offered encouragement. Uh, so, you know, I, I do the seminars at Hibs uh, each time I come and also at the college each time I come. And, you know, maybe something I say there and I'm often talking about business and or about, you know, kind of life skill sets like how do you make good decisions and, uh, you know, in, in a simple kind of a way. Uh, how are good decisions made? And uh, so maybe I said something along the way that got passed around somehow. You know how. Well, and you have is. the school there and the kids, you know, probably go home to their parents or and the school's been there a while. When did the school? It's yeah. like 15 years now. Yes, I think it was maybe 2008 that it opened. I'm not okay, so positive. 12 years. Yeah, something like that. Maybe maybe 2006 even. I have to go by and look at their placard to see. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not good on dates. You know, every time they ask me about my car, I, I have to go look at the papers to see what year my car is. <laughs> so. Well, what I think is amazing about the school is you kind of talked about the supermarket starting out as a one-car garage, two-car, and I feel like that's kind of how the school's been. It started out, and you just keep developing it and getting – you know, new buildings and things for the students. Exactly. It, it started off very small. Uh, maybe I'll go back to the college for a minute. When we first started the college, I really wanted to start with three students, but the director, directora, uh, the female, uh, she persuaded me to, well, let's start with six. So we started with six. And Hibs began about the same. I think they started with maybe 10 and then gradually grew and now they're at about 160 and they're looking, you know, in the the short near term, maybe five years, maybe being at 300. And so, you know, the good part about that is it just impacting more lives. And the impact is not just reading, writing, and arithmetic, but it's the kind of stuff that you were teaching when you were last there. And uh, the classes that I teach on how do you make good decisions and, uh, and the classes that I do on nutrition. And the nutrition classes are not at all elaborate. You know, back home, everybody knows what I'm saying, like eat the orange don't just squeeze the juice out of it because if you just squeeze the juice, which is what they do, and they don't eat the orange, then they're missing a large part of the nutrition. The same way with the potato. You know, wash the potato, boil it, and eat the skin. And 60% uh, of the nutrition in a potato is on the outside of the white. And uh, so, you know, and, and it's difficult. I mean, they'll politely listen and say they're not going to peel their potatoes, but they continue to peel them. 
And so, you know, I I'll, hope I'll the bring... girls and boys in, in our class, because we did like sex education, I hope they weren't just listening and saying we're not going to fill the potato. <laughs> like... <laughs> 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 <'Cause> they... <laughs> well, you can never tell. Of course, what I'm teaching is a little easier to uh, personally check up on them. So this family, I gave them some potatoes, and then I came back, and they asked me for more potatoes. And I said, well, you, uh, what about peeling them? Oh, no, we don't peel them. I, and, and the wife was telling me, so I, she said, uh, I'm cooking right now, and if I had a few more potatoes, that would be good. And I said, okay, well, let me just see how you're cooking them. And, of course, she invites me into the kitchen, and they're all peeled. <laughs> she couldn't even so, lie. <laughs> I, I take that as a good teaching moment, and I said, oh, and you're going to fry the potatoes? Yeah. I said, fry the skins for me. And she just looked at me like I'm kind of half crazy, and, and so she fried them, and then, you know, puts them on a plate, and I start eating them, and, of course, I exaggerate a little bit of how delicious they are and uh and she says really I said well could i taste one sure and she's oh this is good and then she tells her husband hey you know he wasn't lying these really do taste good you know then she gives them to her kids so i just find that a lot of things and this all applies to the agriculture organic school is we will invite uh, these families, typically a husband and wife, but maybe teenage children, to come and spend a weekend with us. Because they're working during the week, they can't come during the week. And they will eat with us, so they'll learn about the nutrition that we're showing, and they'll eat it, and the wife will help prepare it, and uh, the guy will help to grow it, and, and, and the wife too. And... Uh, <clears throat> You know, it's kind of like seeing is believing and, and really trying things out. And there's a lot of good nutrition around locally that's free, but they don't know about it or they don't believe it. And so when we make it available and that's what there is to eat for dinner tonight or you don't eat, uh, then they learn, oh, this, this, this isn't bad. You know, this is pretty good. Giving them the tools to learn it is the way makes it keep going too just this well, small thing. Say, his saying is you know helping the poor help themselves and i feel like that's really important it's like you're teaching them how to fish and not just showing them the fish right or just handing it you're actually hands-on together learning exactly and and that goes back to our core values that it's all about relationships it's not about giving them a piece of paper or a lecture or anything it's about sharing life together and eating together and being together and respecting one another. And I learn from them. You know, it's not at all a one-way street. Uh, I learn from them, and and I try to share what I learn. So from one poor farmer 100 miles away, I learn of something there that most people don't know is very edible, and I, and I do the research and find out that it is nutritious, and then I share that news in another place uh, so they can know about it. Well, and I feel like Jose, whose hotel you stay at, right? His name's Jose. Jose. Um, like he has the plantain farm and he researched to get the plantains that were needed versus just growing whatever 
and then he's been able to have a successful plantain farm because of that. Exactly, and and he's wanting to expand it to not just sell fresh plantains, but sell plantain products. And the plantain products can be made by women, whereas the plantain farming is hard, heavy work, and so that's what men do. But those men, their wives and their daughters, could uh, work with the plantain and make other products out of it. And uh, that's work that would be well suited for for women. And uh, so, you know, it, it's again, it's all relational, and uh, it's it's kind of looking for opportunities. And that's one of the things that I, I guess a really strong message that that I kind of, so to speak, is my sermon, is to have eyes open for opportunity. And uh, one of the best ways to have one's eyes opened is to have goals. And so if the goal is to, we'll just say, to start a business or the goal is to learn something new, I help them to understand that once you have a goal, you begin seeing things that you wouldn't have seen if you didn't have the goal. And uh, so... Uh, that, that's an ongoing message that I share one-on-one and in classes to have goals and to look for opportunities because their inclination is to be copycats. So their inclination is to see what somebody else is doing and do that instead of, like Jose did, look for the plantain that's in high demand but nobody's growing it and then look for other products that could be developed that other people could do so more people can be employed. Anyway, it it just, that's something that that, uh, I I spend a fair amount of time encouraging. And then they own it. You know, when it's their idea, they own it, as opposed to copying somebody else's idea. Well, and I feel like you've done that with a lot because just the two trips that I have been there, like the paint shop that you've helped with and where you have your storage. Sure. And just like I feel like I we've just met all these people that you have just kind of guided throughout the way or you have like a connection with and then they've had the success, you know, or a successful business. Yeah. And so, you know, again, with the ag school, the, the organic school, um, we're just taking that another step in a little bit different direction. So where other projects have been more town and village oriented, this is very rural oriented. The, these will be people who maybe the wife goes to a supermarket two times a year or maybe three times a year. And, and that's wow. when she would buy salt and you know stuff like that. And so these are very rural people who, although they're very good people, there's a lot of stuff they don't understand. So talking about learning from Hondurans, the last nutrition class I did at Hibbs, their nurse sat in on the class. And I was talking about uh, what we would call, I didn't use these words, but uh, genetically modified uh, vegetables and, and f- food products 
and uh, they got to talking and asking questions about that. And so I was sharing with them that if they follow the earlier advice I gave, which was basically buy small instead of big. So I tell them I always buy the small tomatoes, the small potatoes, the small carrots. Uh, first of all, they're a fraction of the price of the big ones. They're more tasty and they're less likely to have been influenced by GMO or uh, chemicals, you know, chemical fertilizers. And so the nurse responded and said, that is so interesting that when I work with the rural, rural mountain poor, they think the opposite. They think that their small tomato is not as nutritious. And so they want to come to town and go to the supermarket and buy a big tomato. And uh, so, again, I've learned from them and now I will pass that on. Uh, in in the organic school, just like I kind of passed it on with you. And uh, so uh, another example of I learned from them and I pass on what I learned. T-E-L-L-I-N-G-P-E-O-P-L-E. Telling people. Did I win? No, you just told people how they can get 15% off our merch. They'll just need to go to our new website and hit merch and order our wonderful t-shirts with our faces on them. Order now. More information in our episode notes. Now back to our episode. Glenn, what would you like to tell people? Well, uh, you know, as I reflect over... Uh, my volunteer work in Honduras, I think the the idea that comes to me to share with other people is it is truly amazing what can happen in when through casual casual acquaintances. So I think about the casual acquaintance of meeting the laborers who are working on my house and at our church. And I, I could have walked by those laborers and never noticed them, never said a hello, uh, but I did. And then I made a little bit of friends. It's not like we became best friends, but occasionally, you know, I would invite myself to visit them on a weekend, you know, make kind of a pastoral visit. And, you know, unlike most pastoral visits, ask, you know, would they like to have, I'll bring a six pack of beer and, and we could talk. And, uh, you know, just make friends. Uh, and then, you know, out of that casual acquaintance, I happen to be in Honduras because they're from Honduras. Uh, I think, you know, as we mentioned, that the casual acquaintance of meeting Vivian on a bus, the casual acquaintance of picking up Elias hitchhiking, um, the casual acquaintance that I just made uh, this week with two workers who have come that Naum hired to come and work uh, on on this organic project. And, you know, I didn't have to say hello to them, but I did, and I got to know them a little bit. And then I asked them, do you live here in Kimistan? No, we live in Sebita. Sebita? Yeah. Sebita? Yeah. If you remember Sebita, that's where the police station is, about 30 minutes out of Kimistan. And so I said, well, 
how do you get here? I said, we walk. He said, you walk? Yeah. I said, well, what time do you leave in the morning to get here? He said, well, we try to leave before 5. Sometimes it's at 4.30 uh, so they can uh, be at work, you know, by about 7. Uh, excuse me. They try to be walking before 4 so they can be there at 7 because it's three hours to walk there and then three hours to get home and they're doing hard 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 manual labor I mean just pick and shovel and axe all day long and uh, so you know when I found that out I, I can't every day but the days I can like today uh, I gave them a ride home and uh, you know I haven't met their family yet but I've gotten to know them and uh, eventually we'll get to know their family. And so who knows will come, what will come from that insignificant casual acquaintance. And so maybe that's the, the thing I would say. And I could go on with the list of how I met David, David Bonney. I mean, I was going to meet a volunteer in Richmond and, uh, and we had connected online. And so we're going to, 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 to meet each other while I'm passing through Richmond, uh, we meet at a McDonald's to have a coffee together. And so I say, his name is Weldon. And so Weldon gets involved and he tells me about his son-in-law, David, who is a United Methodist pastor. And you know, it, it another casual acquaintance. And so, I think uh, we underestimate what human relationship possibilities are, that life is filled with a lot more opportunity than uh, many of us might realize. And some of those opportunities to, to serve and to learn and to love and to care and to experience come from those casual uh, connections that we make along the way. So maybe that's what I would share. Do you want to tell people where they can like volunteer or get involved with Art for Humanity? Well, we have a website, and the website, uh, while it's you know it's certainly not fancy dancy, but it has the basic information of what we do and where we do it, and what volunteers do and how to connect with us. And there's some videos of different people who have been and who, who share and who talk about their experience. And, uh, and there's a way to send an email and I get the emails. And so it's a way for us to connect. Uh, and, and, and that's, you know, that's one of the highlights of, of uh, my day is to connect with a new person and to, uh, and, and sometimes, you know, just a couple of days ago, it was a high school student uh, in Arlington who is of Honduran descent. She wasn't born in Honduras, but one of her parents was. And so she wanted to know how she could get involved. And uh, so, you know, uh, probably our, our, our web page is, is the best way to do that. And that's artforhumanity.org. And we can include that in the show notes so people can go there and they can they can see 
the different projects and Hibs, and you can find Hibs and and be able to sponsor children on there, correct? Too. Yeah, that's right, and and it it shares that information too. Well, I can't wait until I can go back. I really was sad that I couldn't go this year. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people are bummed out about that, and a lot of people here are really bummed out that. Uh, you and Andrea and others haven't uh, been able to come, and so they're looking forward to when you can. Uh, I'll have to try the, to do like another virtual event, like we did at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Now, unfortunately, um, the the night watchman who wanted to marry you, he's moved on, and uh, so he won't. <laughs> <Sorry. be> able- <laughs> <laughs> My one and only proposal, and he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> well, I guess next maybe there'll be another one. <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, the good news is, yeah. Well, the good news is the new night watchman. He's more attractive. Oh, that's good to know. Well, there we go. Upgrade. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was a very interesting experience. Because I can't speak Spanish, so I was having him use Google Translate, and then he 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 said he loved me, and that he asked me if I were were married. <laughs> By the way, Jose is married now. He got married. Oh, is he? Yeah, kind of at the peak of the pandemic, I think, like March or April or something like that. He got married, and you know, a, a very nice uh, dentist. In fact, when I came here in August, because my dentist shop had been closed down and couldn't get my teeth cleaned, I got her to clean my teeth. It's the best tooth job, tooth cleaning job I ever had. Oh, know. really? Yeah. Oh, I mean, well, it was zero discomfort. Zero discomfort. Whereas at home, you know, it's not terrible, but every once in a while there's, oops, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. And, uh, you know, she never did that. So... And it's kind of interesting here that uh, that a hygienist doesn't clean your teeth. Only a dentist can clean your teeth. Which is funny because my mom's a dental hygienist, and she's the one that does all the work here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I rarely see my dentist, but he has to be around. <laughs> so. Right, and yeah, it comes in at the very end. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. Say, ah, uh, okay, 50 bucks. <laughs> and then charge the insurance for way more yeah yeah right well thank you for doing this i know because you're actually in honduras right now which they might have known by you talking about at the very beginning but thank you for taking time to be interviewed and talk on our show because i find this very interesting and i hope it gets other people involved in this cause well you already made me happy too like i've not already was thinking about it, so it's a good cause. Well, uh, look forward to seeing you in Honduras next time, hopefully. And uh, well, we'll, I hope we'll so. Look, I, I think I well, yeah, and maybe maybe there'll be two night watchmen. You know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. We can have so, a double wedding. Hopefully that one's attractive. Yeah. Yes, all together. <laughs> well, thank you for your. Gracious invitation. Uh, I'm honored to be asked, and and I always uh, enjoy uh, these kind of conversations, and uh, and for coaching me on how to do this. You know how to connect. 
Well, I really almost. enjoyed it. All right. Bye-bye. Well, thank okay. you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, Con. Good to meet you, Rachel. What did you think about this episode? I really liked it, but I'm kind of biased towards Glenn. I think that he's a very, you know, selfless, self, selfless, not selfish, selfless, a person and he volunteers his time he's really you know created a great charity and i hope that people go um to his website and really look at it and maybe you know give some money even i feel like even a dollar five dollars you know really goes a long way i definitely agree honestly like He's just amazing just listening to him. I can't even say anything else really because just I learned so much because I grew up in such we grew up in such a like privileged or like great country that many others we don't ever see or hear as much like even on our news that um what what's going on so hearing that makes you even want to be like i want to do what glenn does i want to try to help even more so he might see me on the next trip to be honest that is for sure because it's just amazing honestly it's amazing and not many people like i said earlier do it as much and we need to it's just there's other people out there and we could give them the tools and help them i feel well, I feel like we're one world yeah. because I know people have been like, oh, why are you helping them when there's so many people in America that need help? And I try to help both. Like, And I think his charity does – well, I know his charity does too. It's not just you know going to Honduras and sending resources right. that you might need in America, but it's like spreading you know, the wealth. We're all human beings and we need to help each why, other out. Yep. And, you know, why not spread being, you know – kind and being a human and being in this together why not like that is like uh you saw from my post earlier about my grandmother she went into the villages to help with democracy she didn't have to go do that like that's the thing if you could help teach and have others learn too and you learn from them like I feel like that makes the world even more amazing to be honest is that we have all these Mm -hmm. cultures together and to help one another yeah no exactly well i am kind of stressed so this is recorded on tuesday as we mentioned and i really don't have much to say because i'm paying attention to election night and hopefully it's good news when you guys are listening to this your future selves and i'm nervous too and apparently i don't know how i'm holding it together right now so i'm just going to nod and say what an amazing episode this was and Thank you again, Sean, for writing our theme song. You're amazing. And Hannah, what else do we have up now? Don't know what you mean, but people can go and make sure you subscribe to this episode so you can hear all the other episodes besides this and in the future. And like us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And uh, we have a website, and it is... Oh, that's what we have up. I Yeah, you can't ask me rhetorical questions right now. I know. I don't know why I did that to her, but yeah. So it is at whatidliketotellpeople.com, and you can check out where else you can listen also. And if you want to message us... Uh, well, they 
don't need to check out where they can listen because they should be listening. That too. So platform. you should be listening. But if you want to look at our merch and find out more about us, go to our website. Yeah, and you can find that in our in the notes of the episode and just make sure that you use the code telling people when you're purchasing a t-shirt so you can get 15% off. So um, hope you guys have a great week until next week. And this was what I'd like to tell people.